Welcome to week number four of Red Letter Day. If you have your Bibles with you or your mobile phones, let's grab them and turn to John 19. John 19 is where we'll be today. I'm excited to tell you that today I will be team teaching with about 120 pastors from all over the world. So I'll teach for a little bit, and then your local pastor will come and share some from God's Word. And then I'll be honored to wrap up this message as we look at one of the sayings from Jesus on the cross. Let me give you some context. If you'll remember, uh, shortly before the cross, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Bible says he was in such agony that literally drops of blood uh, was coming from his brow as he thought ahead of to what he would experience on the cross. And sure enough, it was worse than any of us could ever imagine. If you know much about what would have happened, the Roman soldiers beat him senseless after whipping him 39 times across his back to where very likely his internal organs would be exposed. They beat him again and again in the face. They mocked him. They spit on him. The creation abusing the creator. They took a crown of, of the sharpest thorns you could ever imagine, thorns uh, re really long, pushing it down across his brow so that blood streamed across his, his bruised face that barely even looked human at all. The soldiers then took long stakes and drove them through his wrists and through his ankles and suspended him midair on a cross. And as man did his worst, God was at his best when Jesus spoke the very first words and prayed, Father, forgive them, for they don't even know what they're doing. We pick up the story in Luke 19, verse 28, and here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Now, why, why did he say that? Well, it's interesting that in the Old Testament, there were all these different prophecies about what would take place in his life, and there was one that was yet to be fulfilled, and that was that they would give him vinegar to drink. And so by faith, or maybe even with the knowledge of God, we're not sure, but Jesus just said, I'm thirsty. And then here's what they did. They fulfilled this prophecy. Verse 29, a jar of wine vinegar was there, and so they soaked a sponge in it. They put a sponge on the stalk of the hyssop plant, and they lifted it to Jesus' lips. So they're going to give him vinegar again to torture him while he's thirsty on the cross. But verse 30 says something so intriguing. The Bible says, when he had received the drink, Jesus said the three most amazing words that we could ever imagine. He said, it is finished. Could, could I get all of you at all of our locations to say those three words? One, two, three, say it. It is finished. One, one more time, everybody. What happened? The Bible says, it is finished. Imagine the moment when they finally fulfilled that very last unfulfilled prophecy, and Jesus, maybe in a triumphant cry or maybe in a private whisper, declared before God, it's done. It's done. We did it. It's finished. Every, everything that you sent me to do, God, 
it's done, Jesus said. It is finished. The Bible goes on to say, with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. He did what God sent him to do. The words, it is finished, it actually comes from one Greek word. It's the word tetelestai. If you're taking notes, this word means to end, to complete, to execute, or to discharge a debt. Jesus said, tetelestai, I I did it. I paid the debt. I finished it. I discharged. I, I, I did precisely what you sent me to do. This one little word, it has so much rich meaning. In fact, in your notes, I've given you three different ways this word can be used. If you're taking notes, tetelestai, it can mean when a servant returns to his master and says, tetelestai, it's finished. I finished. I have finished what you sent me to do. There's nothing left to be done. I did everything you asked me to do. It can be used uh, as a merchant declares the debt is paid in full. You owe nothing. The debt is cleared. It's totally paid. It can be used when a priest examines a lamb for the sacrifice and the priest says, Tetelestai, it's, uh, it is perfect. This lamb has no blemish at all. It's perfect. Jesus said on the cross before God, Tetelestai, I did it. History has been changed. Your mission, your work, God, it is complete. You may say, well, what did he finish? So many things. I mean, one thing is, is uh, so many of the prophecies had been fulfilled. In, in fact, in the Old Testament, I'll, I'll just list a few of the prophecies that were uttered literally hundreds of years before this event that were fulfilled. Amos prophesied that darkness would befall the land, and it was fulfilled. Isaiah said Jesus would one day be rejected, and he was. Psalm said he would be betrayed. Isaiah also said he would be beaten, he was. Spit upon, he was. Wounded and bruised for our transgressions, he was. Psalm said he would be mocked, and he was. Zechariah said he'd be forsaken by his friends, and he was. Isaiah said he would pray for his persecutors, and he did. And he would be crucified by thieves, and he was. Psalm said they would cast lots for his clothing, and they did. It also said none of his bones would be broken, and they weren't. It also said he would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he did. It was prophesied that he would be pierced, and he was. It was also prophesied that they would give him vinegar to drink, and he said, I am thirsty, and they did. It's finished. All those prophecies had been finished. What else was finished? Well, Satan's plan had been thwarted since the beginning of the birth of Jesus. Satan did everything he could to take Jesus off the track to the cross, but Jesus finished it. He completed what God sent him to do. The sacrifice was perfect. The debt had been paid in full. Sin lost its sting and power for those who were in Christ. Jesus looked up to his father and said, I finished what you sent me to do. The best news for all of us is that Jesus finished the work. That's the good news. The bad news is, though, even though he finished, you haven't. That's right. None of us have. If you are alive today, you have unfinished business. There is more that God wants to do in you and through you. We all have unfinished business. 
It's my honor now to invite your local pastor to come and to talk from God's word and from his perspective about our unfinished business with God. If you would, I want you to write that in your talk notes, just what Craig said. You have unfinished business. Write that down, would you? We have unfinished business. In, uh, in Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, I want you to let this scripture kind of sink into your spirit and even disturb you if you find yourself in it just a bit. Look what scripture says. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds, say it with me, I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. We have unfinished business. 20 years ago, I came face to face with the gospel of grace. And I don't know what, what it was about that moment, but the light bulb turned on, and by heart I knew that this is it. This is, this is the void that I've been trying to fill with so many things. Christ is the answer, and I surrendered my life to him. And i got to tell you, I was pretty confident, because I was pretty on fire for God, that I was going to be the next Billy Graham. I knew it. I just knew it. I, I was going to be the next Billy Graham. In fact, my faith was so sure, and I was so passionate, it was almost kind of like I was a, a spiritual superhero of sorts. It, 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 that's not funny. I was, I was so fired up about God that there was nothing and no one that would get between me and accomplishing what God had, had, had created me to do. And then life happens. And then laziness sets in. And my time with him, my intimacy, it starts to, to kind of go as secondary. The things that I, that I looked at that I shouldn't be looking at, the things I was thinking about that I shouldn't be thinking about. Ten years ago, I woke up, and I was the personification of that passage. I had a reputation for being alive, but in my character, I was dead. I have unfinished business. My unfinished business is this. It is to live the rest of my life in such a way that the outward passion that I have for Christ is matched by the inward character that I have in Christ. That is my unfinished business. May I ask, what's yours? What is it? In fact, if we could, no matter where you are, in your talk notes, there's some blanks. And, and I just want to, when I say you have unfinished business, I want you to write down in those lines the first thing that comes into your mind. It, it may not be a, a, a huge area of hypocrisy like me, but maybe it's something that God has, has burdened you, created you to do that you have not seen through. Maybe God's called you to adopt or, or to be a foster parent. How incredible is that? And that hasn't come to pass. Maybe your unfinished business is to forgive someone. Maybe your unfinished business is to get out of debt. Maybe your unfinished business is, is to share 
the love of Christ with someone that you love who is far from him. In the next few moments, what I want to ask you to do is, is as, as God, by his spirit, reveals his word, I want you to let him speak to your heart in light of what you just wrote down. Why? Because every single day that God blesses us with another opportunity to live is another opportunity to, t- to take one step closer to the purpose that he has given you. Jesus finished well. And let's be honest. We live in a culture where people start many, many things and finish few. And so how do we, like Christ, finish well when so few of us finish anything? I want to give you a couple thoughts today and, 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 and just, just write these down as we, as, we just, as we seek God. God, how can I finish strong? The first thought is this. Write it down. We're going to make a commitment. Would you write that down? We're going to make a commitment. Now, I see some of your eyes already saying, I've done that. I, I, I've made a commitment. Have you? I, I think we have a skewed view of what commitment really looks like. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 11. Now, say this with me. He says, now what? Now, finish the work so that your what? That your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. See, I believe in our culture, commitment is defined by merely eager willingness. But that isn't commitment. You commit I'm going to lose weight. But friends, that is only an eager willingness because there's still double-stuffed Oreos in your pantry. (laughs) Too close to home, isn't it? It isn't commitment until you change and you complete what your eager willingness was about. In spring of 1519, Cortez, Hernando Cortez, received permission from the governor of Spain to take 11 ships and 700 men to discover a new world. They sailed all with eager willingness to expand the territories of Spain and to increase the treasures that they would find in this new land. When they landed in Veracruz, their eager willingness waned quickly because what they discovered is that there was the most savage, violent natives that they hadn't prepared for. And all of a sudden, the crew began to dissent. They began to talk to one another. I want to go home. I don't like the food. I don't like somebody chasing me, trying to cut off my head. I want to go home. Their eager willingness was gone. When Cortez got wind of the dissent, he gave an order to one of his crew, simple order, Burn the ships. And they did. And that, that is commitment. Commitment is taking your passion, desire to do something, drawing a line in the stand, stepping across that line, and there is no turning back. That is how we finish strong, when we commit with that kind of resolve. And it's exactly what we see personified by our Savior Jesus. 
in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Craig mentioned, he was, he was battling over what he knew would happen. And Scripture says that the stress and the agony was so intense that, that literally the capillaries in his skin were bursting under the stress, and he was literally sweating blood. And you hear it in his words. In Luke 22, verse 42, Scripture says, he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Father, if there's any other way, please. And then something changed. And I believe this was the moment where our Savior stepped across the line and there was no turning back. And he says, yet, say that word with me, yet, not my will, but yours be done. And in that moment, it was on. If we are going to finish strong, we start with commitment, by making a commitment with great resolve. The second thing, if you're taking notes, write this down, is we are going to take the next step. Write that down. We're going to take the next step. And then after that, we're going to take the next step. And after that, we're going to take the next step after that. Why? Because the chasm between where we live today and our present reality is so overwhelming to where God wants us. And that's why most people don't finish is they look at this huge chasm that separates where we are from where God wants us to the fulfillment of the vision. And we say, well, I can't do that. Yeah, you can. With one step, after another step, after another step. Like Bill Murray, we're going to take what? Baby steps to the elevator. Baby steps out of my addiction. Baby steps to being a foster. We're going to take baby steps to the promise of what God has called us to do and who he has called us to be. And that is why in the book of Psalms, chapter 119, verse 105, Scripture says that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. And it's in this place that the beauty of God's word comes alive because he doesn't give us enough revelation to go the whole way. We can't see that far. But I can see just enough to take one more step. Ten years ago, I found myself a million miles away from the work that God started in me when I became a follower of Christ. And in the goodness of God's grace, he showed me, you just need to take a step. And so I did. And that first step was confession. Get honest. Kind of goes like this. Honey, we've got to have a talk. You get honest. And then I took that step. And the guy showed me, well, it's time to take another step. It's, it's time now to get accountability. 
And so I took that step. And so I surrounded myself with a group of guys that asked me questions that honestly I didn't enjoy answering. And then you take another step. It's time to rebuild trust. And so you take that step. And so you take another step. You let, you let God forgive you, and you forgive yourself. And then I take another step, and frankly, this is that step. Telling you my story. Because every time I share the story about the darkness that I was in and the light of God in my life and the restoration of my marriage, I heal a little bit more, and maybe, just maybe, God will use it to show some of you that in Christ, all things are possible. What's your next step? What is it? You don't have to map out the whole thing. God won't let you, even if you wanted to. What is your next step, though? Literally, just take a second in your tongue. Just write it down. What is it? Is it to write the letter? Write it down. Is it to cut up the credit cards? Write it down. Is it to make the phone call? Is it to fill out your resume? Maybe your next step, maybe your next step is to forgive. Maybe your next step is going to happen today when you surrender your life to Christ for the first time. If we're going to finish strong, we are going to commit with great resolve. We are going to take the next step step. This time of year, it's, uh, it's so overwhelming to think about the journey that Christ went on from the Garden of Gethsemane to the cross. Jesus was crucified on a hill, and it was called Golgotha, and it literally meant the place of the skull. And I often I often imagine what that journey up that hill looked like. He was beaten within an, within an inch of his life, barely unrecognizable as a human being. And in that place, he took a step up that hill to carry your sin to his cross. And in that agony, with the crown of thorns being put on his brow, the thorns going into his skin, he took a step with the hope that if you would say yes to a relationship with Christ, that you would become an ad adopted as a child of God. And then he picked up a beam that he would be hung on, and he placed it on his beaten shoulder, and he took a step with the hopes that those of us who are under the suffocating weight of bondage and addiction would be set free. And then he clawed his way up to the place where nails the size of railroad spikes would pierce his wrists. He took another step. Last step. To say,
to you, I love you. He finished well. He finished strong. And for those of us who still have breath in our lungs, who have not yet finished what God has purposed us to finish, let us be encouraged by the truth of God's word in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Scripture says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In 1968, in the Mexico City Olympics, John Stephen Aquari from Tanzania set out with hopes of an Olympic gold in the 26.2 mile marathon race. Sadly for him and his country, Midway through the race, he had a horrible accident, uh, falling to the ground, gashing his knee wide open, and dislocating his knee from the joint, certainly keeping him from finishing the race. Well, all the other runners left him behind and eventually entered into the stadium for their final lap. And over an hour after the race had been won and all the other uh, runners had already completed, John Stephen Aquari shocked the world. When the stadium was mostly empty, this very injured runner hobbled into the stadium, limping and fighting his way to the finish line. Leg wrapped with a little towel with blood gushing down, this very brave hero finished a race that virtually everyone else would have quit. That's what we're gonna do, because we have unfinished business. And God is calling us to finish the race. After the race was run, the uh, interviewers asked John, why'd you do that when no one else would have? And John said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start a race, but they sent me 5,000 miles to finish it. God did not send you to earth to start a race. He sent you here to finish it. Commit, take the step, and finish. How do you do it? We get to the place where, you know what, our life is not about us. This is what Paul said in Acts 20, 24. He said, however, I consider my life worth nothing. If only I may finish the race and complete the task, and for him, it was the task of testifying to the gospel of grace. Finish your race. If you're still alive, God is not through with you yet. Keep in step with the Spirit. Stay close to God and follow his voice. Commit and take the next step. So one day you can stand before Christ in heaven and say, Tetelestai, I did what you sent me to do. And he'll say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. Finish the race. Let's all pray. God, we acknowledge 
that there is so much unfinished business. And we ask today, God, that your Holy Spirit would lead us to take the next step that we could do everything that you call us to do. And like your son, we could finish the reason you sent us to earth. At all of our locations today, I know that a lot of you right now, you, you wrote down something earlier in, in, our, in our time together, what your unfinished business was. And, and if you are very clear, there's something that God has for you to do and you've not yet done it. What I want to do is I want to pray specifically for you. Those of you that would say, unquestionably, there's some unfinished business and I want to commit to God to do this. Would you at all of our locations today, would you just lift up your hands high right now? Just lift them up and say, yes, yes, God, I want to fulfill and finish this commitment. As there's hands going up all over the place today, I just, I'm honored to pray for you. God, I thank you that you are a God who speaks and I thank you that it's no accident that we were here today, that your Holy Spirit, God, would show us the unfinished business in our lives. God, I pray that today in your presence that we would make a commitment to do what you put before us. God, to step across a line called commitment. And then, God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would show us the very next step that we would keep in step with your spirit, that your word, God, would be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, and God, that we would follow you step by step until we finish what you've called us to do. And God, I thank you for all the lives that will be changed and for the way the world will be different, God, as we commit to follow through on what you called and equipped us to do. As you keep praying today at all of our locations, uh, there are some of you that you've got the most, most important, unfinished piece of business before you at this moment, and that is you're not settled with God. You're not settled with God. You're, you're not walking with him and serving him faithfully, and, and all of a sudden right now, it's becoming crystal clear that this is your unfinished business. What does God want from you? Well, the bottom line is he wants your whole life. And you may think, you know, I'm unworthy, I'm, I'm not good enough. How in the world could I give God my whole life? And the answer is found in those three words that Jesus said, it is finished. Jesus did everything that was necessary for us to be right with God and forgiven. His work on the cross, his, the blood he shed, he was the Lamb of God slain on the cross so that we could be forgiven. And when you put your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone, not religion, not church membership, not good works, not lack of sin, but when you put your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone, you will be forgiven and made totally right in the eyes of God. What does he want after that? Well, basically, like Paul said, he wants you to give him your whole life where you say, you know what? I consider my life worth nothing to me. It's no longer mine. It's all his. I give him my whole life. I count it as nothing to me only if I can finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has called me to do. Right now at all of our locations, there are those of you that you would be, if you were honest, you'd say, you know what? I'm not walking with God. I'm not right with God. And guess what? You are here today to finish the most important commitment, to start the most important and, and finish your sold out commitment to give your life wholly unto Christ. Today, you will step across a line called commitment and say, Jesus, forgive me for all of my sins. I give all of my life to you. My life is no longer my own. Today, 
I commit to you. At all of our locations, there are those of you, you know this is you. Today is the day of your salvation. Today you're stepping across a line called commitment. At all of our campuses, those of you who would say, yes, that's me, Jesus, I give my life to you. Lift your hands high right now. All of our locations, lift them up and say, yes.